Welcome to Titanic Reaction. I'm Tony Mangus. Be aware, these are real stories. Well, most of them are. They will contain tales of alcohol, drugs, sex, extreme violence, and language Mary Whitehouse would not approve of. Take caution when listening. I'm here with Bad Sex. I'm Tony Mangus, and this is Titanic Reaction. Introduce yourselves and what you do in the band. I'm Quinn. I sing and play guitar. I'm Jerry. I uh, play bass and do some backup vocals. I'm Nick. I play drums and I sing and sometimes I'll write some words. I'm Charles. I also play guitar and I sing. Well, let's play a song so people kind of have get an idea of what you sound like. The first one, you want to do Miranda? Yeah. New single. Miranda was a really fun thing. It's a pretty personal single for me. Uh, I was trying to definitely write something a little bit more relatable, something that had actually happened to me instead of just sort of like teenage love fantasy. Um, so that was definitely the inspiration for that, doing my best Taylor Swift, uh, naming after the person it's after kind of thing. Uh, so that was really cool. Um, as a group, we dealt with a lot of hills we were climbing over the last EP we did. So we came together collectively and decided that we wanted to execute this in sort of the least stressful way possible. So we went with a buddy's studio that was just pretty low key, kind of in his attic. And we were just, you know, we just, we were like, no big deal. Like we're not going to, not going to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? split hairs on where it's done or, you know, try to find some big fancy studio or whatever. So that ended up working great. And, uh, Jesse, I, I think it's low shelf recordings. He did great. If you're looking for anybody, go give him a, give him a look. Uh, he used to play in like bridge city centers, but, uh, yeah, he did, he did it for us and did an absolutely wonderful job. And then we sent it off to Dan Dixon down in Atlanta and he plays with a group called Please Please and is associated with Tuck Smith and uh, the Restless Hearts mixed all those Biters records. And he's, he's, you know, he's an old school guy. He's, he's super talented as well. So we sent it off down to him and uh, he nailed it. And then as far as the EP cover went, we just kind of wanted to stick with the same spirit of it not being super complicated. Uh, Quinn found this really cool old ACDC font that we all really dug. And we're like, well, let's just do something with that and send it off to our buddy Tobias in town who plays in like Rosalit Bone and has an awesome little studio as well. And uh, he did the cover art for us. And and then we ended up calling that guy, Carl, that I had told you about earlier, Hot Carl Productions, Carl Winery, to do a video for us. And we were practicing in the basement of the Goodfoot at the time. So just again, to kind of keep in that spirit of low stress, um, sort of easy production, we were just like, let's just do the band playing in this cool bar room. We got a unique opportunity here. And it ended up panning out really well. Like it was super cool. Uh, and now people seem to really be digging it. And I know I'm really stoked with how it all turned out. And I think everybody else is pretty thrilled too. Yeah, that song's really good. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Coming from you, that means a lot, Tony, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs>
Except for Jerry. I mean, yeah, I've been here for he 10 years. Yeah, I was born out on the north side, St. Vincent. I was born on like 28th and Powell, basically, in an apartment. Nice. <laughs> in an apartment, you had a midwife? Like, but yeah. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Wait, you just know. popped out? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up, I, I spent a lot of time when I was a kid out in Troutdale area, little suburbs outside of the city. Uh, and then when it was like eighth grade, I think I moved into the city and, uh, that's when it all went downhill. I was born at a manual. Oh, really? No way. <laughs> I actually just found out the hospital. I was born out like three days ago. Yeah. But Jerry, if you've been here 10 years, that's probably half your life. What are you, 20? Uh, 28. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've done, yeah, I've been here for, I mean, most of my life. Yeah, a long time. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in Eugene, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an Oregon guy. And I, I went to high school in Vegas. That place is terrible. I moved here as soon as I finished high school. What do you love about being in Portland? Everybody. Uh, oh, my record stores. All my stuff is here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I like, you know, if I were to talk about just like base level stuff, I love the climate. That's something that's really nice. Uh, and there's a really cool, there's a really cool music scene here. There's a lot of really great people doing really great things. Uh, and it seems like after the pandemic, there's been a lot of revitalizing in that community a lot of people coming together and showing some really cool aspects of what made me fall in love with this town when i was a kid um but you know the number one reason is definitely bad sex always will be <laughs> that's what's keeping you here oh uh, yeah <laughs> that wheeler can quote me on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just i'm i love all the movie theaters here yeah, I'm so lucky to have so many independent movie theaters. That's true. are doing so much cool work and showing so many interesting, Absolutely. independent, and older films. Well, tell people about some of the stuff that they're doing because not everyone's familiar with it. Right. Yeah, there. I mean, you know, at Hollywood Theater, now that it's you know reopening again, there's you know I'm assuming they're back to their regular programming. So they've got you know the nights where you can watch yeah, them sure. and like text in your reactions and have them be on the screen. They've got Kung Fu theater back, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and then there's tons of other theaters, uh, cinema 21s playing independent films. Again, uh, we're just lucky to have more than I can name independent movie theaters around town. So you got the weird war guys too. That's always really yeah. fun. Yeah. Oh my god, I love Weird War. Their gallery on Broadway is like the coolest fucking shit ever, man. Um, it really is. They just had a bit that was just like all these like old like Italian like box office merch for like these fucking like post-apocalyptic uh, like Bad Max ripoffs. Oh, very cool. Terminal. Yeah, I think now what they have is a super fucking badass. Uh, I think it's Allison Braun. Her photography. She's she, oh, like. Right and uh, like Discharge, I think. Just like a bunch of fucking great bands. Um, it's a lot of good photography there. If you're in Portland right now, you got to check it out. It's awesome. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I went and saw the post-apocalyptic one. Oh, yeah. That one was awesome. Yeah, and I only heard up. like half the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's more than most people. 
Well, I'm a little older. Yeah, well, that'll help. <laughs> a little cooler, too. Makes sense. It's a long <laughs> Yeah, I got really hot last night, and I'm like, I'm just going to write down my answers to the questions. And I just wrote down, like, going downtown, finding punk stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, first band, Ringo's All-Star Band. Jerry, this is what you were asleep on my balcony. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I got way too high. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you hate about Portland? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got stolen a couple of weeks ago. I'm still a little sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's it, man. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what do I hate about Portland? Things I hate about Portland. I don't know. Hate's a strong word, right? Um, I think it's a unique time in our city's history as four gentlemen who have grown up either in and around the city. Uh, I think we have definitely a unique perspective on sort of where it's gone, where it's going and where it's been. But uh, for me anyways, I hate that the city is dealing with the problems it's dealing with. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make me hate the city, right? It just is unfortunate that, you know, the housing crisis is so evident here and that there is such a, you know, clear wealth gap in this city and, you know, things like that. But I don't know if that's necessarily specific to the town itself. Right. Exactly. So I think, you know, if I were to get a little bit more meta and say like things I hate about the city, uh, people aren't the best drivers, <laughs> um, you know, like I end up in traffic jams just because people don't know how to drive. And that actually blows my mind. Uh, I was rolling around with Quinn the other day and was just like why am i sitting in traffic at like two o'clock on a saturday and well, on like almost every intersection some no know. accident there's not it's just people driving like 40 miles an hour on the interstate it's just insane to me yeah people can't merge yeah but you know like there's there's cool stuff and for the most part it's pretty cheap and everybody's super liberal like you could you could land a lot worse places right oh absolutely yeah I mean, it is kind of shocking. I haven't lived here in six years. Did you move back here or are you just visiting? No, we came back to get vaccinated. Oh, cool. Good for you. Europe wasn't, Europe was being really slow. Like I could, I got some, I got an invitation to set up an appointment. So I would just be starting to get vaccinated. No kidding. What What a trip, man. So we came back, we came back in April and we just decided to stay for the summer. Cause when we left, like Amsterdam was on lockdown curfew, oh, yeah. yeah. 8,000 cases a day. Yeah. yeah. So you were like a Pfizer fan, a Moderna monster. Jonathan yeah. and Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> we got Pfizer. We went to the drive-thru at the airport. Team Pfizer. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, start I, a softball league. Let's do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might even go get a booster since I'm here. Yeah, dude, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm, I'm trying to as well, get as many sure. as I can. Three, four, five of them. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite bands from Portland? Active or old? Poison Idea. Yeah, Poison yeah. Idea. Yeah. We're, we're all going to say the same bands, really. Poison <laughs> <laughs> uh, Idea, The Wipers, and Exploding Hearts. Yeah. And uh, Dead Moon, Napalm Beach, 
uh, Nice Boys, uh, Soda Pop Kids. Soda Pop Kids. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Those ones Welcome Home Walker. 800 <laughs> Octane. Uh, long Knife. Yeah, Long Knife's great. Uh, our label mates, Bridge City Sinners. You know, we love those guys. Yeah. They're the best. Sadists. Hey, yeah. The Sadists. Yeah, Sadists are great, too. Yeah. Um, Rosalit Bone's awesome. Uh, uh, Bad Shadows are cool as hell. Bad Shadows, that was a good one. Yeah, Bad Shadows are awesome. Uh, the Cry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I miss playing shows with The Night, too. Yeah, The Night was oh, They were so <laughs> cool. They were really rad. Yeah. Uh, what was Aaron's band, too? Oh, Warfire. Oh. Yeah, Warfire. Yeah. They were awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah Warfire was great. <laughs> yeah, but I would say, like, I would say if I were to, I don't know, top top five it for my my Portland's or maybe even top three would be really hard. But definitely Mean Jeans. Yeah, Mean Jeans for sure. Uh, definitely The Cry and definitely, I would say those are my top three, Mean Jeans, Cry and Poison Idea. I've been obsessed with it. Yeah, I know he's like, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. Soda Pop Kids and no one else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, I love Soda Pop Kids so much. <laughs> I'm falling in love with the arcade. Yeah, what else do we love in Portland? Portland bands. I'm trying to think. Uh, new shoes, right? You know. Oh, yeah, yeah, new shoes. Yeah. Kingsman. <laughs> yeah, Kingsman. Absolutely. Uh, Far of here for sure. Yeah, like you know, some of the some of that like really cool grunge uh, stuff, like Sean Krogan's old band Cracker Bash. You know, I grew up. Oh yeah, yeah. With those dudes, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, then like what else? Pond. Pond was super sick. Uh, Coffin Break was a Seattle band, so I actually. Can't. Are you older than you look? Did you see those bands? Uh, so is that later? I'm 28. My dad was. Uh, my dad's the vegetable from Poison Idea. Oh okay. And so he kind of raised me in and around that community. And uh, I remember when he got inducted into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame, uh, we were, I, he brought me out that night and it was Poison Idea getting inducted. Um, the Kingsman got inducted. Uh, Quarter Flash got inducted. Um, Pawn got inducted. And just like a bunch of these cool bands, right? And I remember just sitting there just being like, oh yeah, like what a cool deep storied history this place has like these are bands a lot of people in my generation anyways kind of forget about especially bands like quarter flash and new shoes and you know stuff like that maybe you know the hits but it, it was definitely super cool to see my pop there with those people and just be like oh right on man like the whole thing <laughs> oh yeah no shit yeah i remember that happening but how old yeah. were you at the time when was uh, i must have been like probably like four or five years ago right you know uh so i was probably like 23 24 ish you know nick uh jerry and i were doing another band at the time called gun and yeah, we were uh, definitely in a different different phase of our life. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't I didn't get to see I never got to see Pond or anything. But uh, I've gotten to see Sean's band, The Mistons, play. We're playing with them up in Seattle uh, in August. That should be a really good one. Um, 
And then I'm trying to think of like other cool Portland bands I got to see play. Like I grew up hanging out with like, like Johnny P. Jules was like my uncle. And I grew up going to the park with him and like going to Genie's with him and my mom and stuff. And, you know, like hanging out with like all those like boys kids and, you know, welcome on Walker stuff and whatever stuff like yeah. that. But unfortunately I was too young to ever really get to go to a show and see him or anything. I got to see the Welcome Home Walker reunion show. Oh, did you get to go to that? Yeah, That's yeah, so yeah. cool. Yeah, I just yeah. saw that flyer pop up again, like on a Facebook memory or something. And I was like, oh, that would have been so cool to go to. It's just funny seeing how they look nowadays playing that music still. Absolutely. I yeah. bet CJ was looking so funny playing it. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Colin Gerald didn't. Hey, look the high. Part right anymore and and neither did kirby for that matter you know he's got he's all muscly and long-haired now and yeah that was just funny <laughs> yeah yeah that's so sick uh that must have been really fun i think mean jeans played too or something yeah i saw that bill it was incredible so how did you guys get into punk uh i think for the most part three of us were kind of just born already into it you know i know my my parents were in the punk and goth scene or uh, yeah, growing up and showed me most of the bands I still listen to today. So it kind of just started from birth for me. I mean, I, I had a I have yeah. two older siblings that that were both into punk for as long as I can remember. So like, I I grew up I grew up listening to a lot of like you know No Effects, Rancid, Goldfinger type stuff, and yeah. I was like, like you know eight years old and just kind of you know went from there. That's my favorite stuff. Yeah, I, my parents were always like old rockers. I was raised on a lot of classic rock, though, and didn't really know much about the whole Poison Idea aspect of my dad until I got older. But I remember my brother showed me Code Blue by TSOL when I was like 13 years old. And uh, I was just obsessed. I was like, this is the coolest song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Just that intro, you know, and then, you know, all the content. I just thought it was so cool. And then being a 13 year old boy at the time, I was just like, this is the funniest song I've ever heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was just, I was super here for all of it. And, you know, it was just kind of game on since then. I got my first Ramon shirt. And I remember I still had the Ramon shirt I bought at whatever, like Target or something in the fourth grade. And uh, it fit me all the way till I was like, I don't know, in like 12th grade or something. And then my brother ended up stealing it from me. And I got really sad. <laughs> Dick move. Yeah. 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 yeah my, my mom has been working in venues for like, since she was a teenager, she would be like working in like the golden voice box office with like Pat Smear yeah. when they were kids. Um, and so my mom, like every week and she'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go see TSOL and X or she like, Oh, I'm going to go uh, see black flag and circle jerks in the adolescence. Actually, she used to like go visit the adolescents like after she'd get out of school and go like steal uh, like cereal and shit for them. Um, and yeah, so my mom had these like big fucking scrapbooks of just like clippings from like the whiskey a go-go or like cream magazine or something and it's like uh oh yeah this week fucking uh don henley and also x and also fear and the past and and tsol and she's like oh yeah we just do that and i'd be like what the fuck i'm like that's the most insane shit and like quit i'm i'm pretty sure she showed you guys um like big fucking scrapbooks of the show like 
Susie Sue and shit. Yeah, I was gonna say your mom has easily the probably the coolest collection of show posters I've ever seen in my life. It's they're it's pretty insane. It's pretty mind blowing. Yeah. yeah, she has so many just like Raymond Pettibone drawings that she started like writing letters to her friends on the back of them just because they're just around. Yeah. Um, and so that definitely got crossed over into a her parenting style, which was you should listen to this fucking punk music because it'll make you hot. <laughs> I want to have a fucking grandkid someday, so you you gotta get fucked. I'm paraphrasing, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She gave you the old boy name too, huh? Exactly. She gave me the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> so, out of all those bands, what ones did you first get obsessed with? Uh, I think uh, the band I ever got obsessed with on my own without someone showing it to me was probably The Who in middle school, right around the time I met Nick when we were 11. Uh, we were both like wicked into The Who in middle school. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. I was so into it. And, that, and it opened a lot of doors for me to like start listening to punk, not from like the angle of all the punk bands, but from all the bands that influenced them. And that's kind of what has grabbed my attention ever since was everything that was like going on right before and right around the beginning of punk that like made it become what it was. Uh, and also the who's like ground zero for power pop. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Interesting point. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting. For sure. Yeah. Came full circle eventually. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I never really thought about that. You're absolutely right. Who's yeah. ground zero for power pop. Yeah, my first band I got obsessed with was definitely Rancid. Um, I remember playing Dave Mira's BMX. Um, if, for, for all you PlayStation 1 owners out there, uh, this is a little, <laughs> little date stamp. Um, yeah, you had Dave Mira's Pro BMX for the PlayStation 1, and uh, Maxwell Murder was on there, which is just classic Rancid track. Um, and I remember hearing that song over and over again, and I would, you know, skip all the songs in the game to get to that one and just play it over and over and over. And I was like, this is the coolest band ever. And I would go and bug my mom and be like, you know, like, what is Rancid? And I was also super into MXPX, but uh, I think to be fair, I was given an M or I was, I remember going to Tower Records when Tower Records was still a thing, and I had a Tower The one on 82nd? Yeah, totally. No, it was the one up at, uh, it's up there where the uh, Fred Myers is at Gateway, the Gateway one. Oh, on 102nd. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I forgot about that one. Totally, yeah. So the Gateway Tower Records, uh, I had like a $25 gift card, and I remember I went in there and I bought a Three Doors Down CD and an MXPX CD, <laughs> and uh, I was just like so into it. And my dad, he uh, knew I loved that song, Responsibility by MXPX, just like so much. And I also loved that Superman song by Three Doors Down. Uh, so my dad, being the musician he was, learned those songs on the guitar for me and we would stand in the family room and he would just play them and i would just like belt them all day and all night and i would just make him play them over and over and over again and i would just sing them and i'd pretend like i was playing little concerts in the garage and stuff uh and so that was i guess yeah maybe that was like one of the first real obsession bands i had and then it moved into rancid off of that maxwell murder track and it was like i got let's go and i learned about like lars Fredrickson, and i started checking out like lars Fredrickson and the bastards and all tim armstrong's side projects and that's like the band that kind of taught me how to spider web a band and you know be like oh there's if i like this there might be more things like this that i like kind of thing 
Yeah, the uh, first band I really got obsessed with was probably yeah, Alkaline Trio. Just my sister just gave me just you know a stack a stack of CDs, and uh, in that was like a burnt copy of their uh, self-titled like compilation stuff of all their early seven inches. Just instantly hooked. Every song was just so goddamn good, and just yeah, just Alkaline Trio in general. I mean, yeah, I'm I mean I'm still a huge fan. I mean, got a fucking tattooed when I was 17, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, I like it. It's cool. Probably Queen of the Ramones for me. Um, I I don't know, man. You hear you watch Wayne's World for the first time, and you see that scene where they're headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody. And then like. Like I was like my stepdad was like, Hey, you know this crazy song that's been out for fucking thirty years? Yeah. <laughs> man. And he was like, Well check it out, it's on this album, Night at the Opera. He gave me like the nineteen ninety one uh remastered like Ryko disc tape. And I just I heard uh I'm in love with my car and I was like, Wow. I bet driving is going to be so fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Taylor, you know, singing drummer. He's like my favorite one. Yeah, um, sure. Dude, he just has a voice that sounds like a fucking runaway freight train. It's so cool. And then that like that clasp thing that he does when he hits the snare that just like makes it sound super heavy. It's the coolest. Right. And then the Ramones are the best band ever. I don't really know yeah. how much. More <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. What about those boys? Period. Interview over. <laughs> Out of everyone I've interviewed, they're the most. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. That's like, it's insane. You know, maybe not the most commercially successful band in the world if you look at like the true history when they were contemporaries, but. Just arguably the most influential band of all time. So, do you still like all those bands? How's your taste in music changed? Absolutely. Over the years. Oh, yeah, I still love them. Yeah, they're the same. I still do. Yeah. I remember yeah. in like high school. Bands have only grown richer and more defined and deeper over time. I, every day I just like notice something else that makes me love the band even more. Like, it could just be like a funny little throwaway lyric in like a musical interlude where they just like, like ad lib something real quick. I'm like, oh fuck, that's when Joy Ramon says, it's pretty scary out here. The mosquitoes are hungry tonight. You're just like, what the fuck? Awesome. Yeah, I definitely still listen to all these bands. Uh, I think everybody goes through their adolescent phase of like trying to find new music and being like, oh, I don't listen to that stuff anymore. And when I did that, I got super into the Grateful Dead <laughs> and was like, you know, just totally off on that trip for a while. And then uh, came back to listening to like more extreme music. And that's when we did our old band. And from then on, it's just been like kind of breaking me down then i met quinn and quinn really introduced me to like the world of power pop and stuff like that and that's just been a real door opener for me what was the first power pop stuff you showed him uh uh i don't know but probably exploding hearts i was gonna say probably the hearts oh okay yeah uh, you know maybe probably like exploding hearts and protects not I, I i don't i think i it was probably more of like the more punk side of power pop. I don't think 
You showed me, you showed me like, you know, you got me more into the cry. I'd always known about the cry, but um, I wasn't super into them. And then you got me really into Exploding Hearts. And those two bands were just like, it just sent me off, man. I was like, in the same way I got obsessed with like Rancid and stuff. I was, I was really, really into uh, the sounds I was hearing. I just, it felt heavy to me still, but more, more, you know, I listen to a lot of emo bands too. And a lot of old school emo bands. And when they were talking about like, you know, stuff like Silverstein and uh, like Christy front drive and like Texas is the reason and stuff like that. Uh, you know, like they were bands at the time that had these really kind of sad, soft lyrics, but the music was really, really, really intense. And I thought that was really cool. And then when I heard these bands, uh, obviously a very different kind of music, but a very similar emotion where I was hearing these like major chord progressions and like, like you know, major melodies and stuff like that, that were a lot brighter than what I was used to hearing. And these lyrics that were saying in this really poppy sort of bright fashion, but it still held all of this intensity and, you know, like grit of the rock and roll that I really liked. And, uh, coming out of the hardcore bands I was playing in, I really wanted something like that. I wanted something that had pop appeal and was much more playable and listenable. And, you know, like the cry and the exploding hearts and soda pop kids and, you know, nice boys just kind of gave me that roadmap and Quinn showed it to me. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, Oh man, this is, this is it. Like, this is it. The floodgates have opened and there's no going back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you gotten into other power pop stuff besides the local stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's uh, in particular, like my favorite, my favorite little music guy flex, because everybody's got their little corner of I know it and you don't stuff, right? and like especially in this in this scene in this industry everybody loves being the guy that shows the next guy the cool band right uh and so is there anything uh, new anymore uh, well i'm about to i'm about to hit you with it tony man guess i'm telling you uh, so i'm a, i'm a total weeb i like a lot of anime i you know just love japanese stuff it's a good time um and the beatles came to japan and they never really left right everybody just got so obsessed with it and Beatlemania just really hung around uh and still is pretty popular to this day from what i understand and there's like a lot of really cool japanese power pop bands uh and some really just unknown undersung stuff that I've found just on weird YouTube holes, like this really cool old band, the rain, uh, with this song called Brandy party. Um, they're the rain, like Portland rain. Yeah. Like T H E R A I N. Uh, and if you can't find it, I will send you a link to it because the video has got like 200 views. It's like a picture. The thumbnail is a picture of a record player. Uh, and then it's, yeah, I, there is this sort of, interesting connection between the two bands there's this band called uh the rain and then the badge and the member of the rain is this man shoji badge from what i understand and shoji badge has gone on to start this project called the badge and shoji badge which are more of like a goth band uh but there is also songs they do that are power pop songs and so these were two bands i found that i was like oh there's a japanese power pop thing like that's right up my alley and that led me to finding a couple more contemporary ones uh in particular this group called gorilla that plays over in japan and they are just 
for me, like they're just the top of the top, man. They are so cool. Uh, they do a little bit of mix between like English lyrics, Japanese lyrics, and just very, very classic, um, jangly fun power pop songs they are so good man but check their record out gorilla it's all pop they're not paying me they're just worth it i tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gorilla's good yeah i love them they're so good that's what i'm gonna do after this i'm excited man yeah i'm excited for you you're gonna be like oh this is great <laughs> now, you can find gorilla on on Bandcamp uh pretty easy i think it's gorilla with an asterisk right after it mm-hmm yeah. yeah, they have more records on their Bandcamp than they do uh, YouTube, and they do they do have stuff on Spotify too. I believe it's all pop is on Spotify, so you can find that record on there. Yeah, uh, the, the Gorillas contemporary. The other two are older. Yeah, the other two are older. So Badge Shoji Badge and the Rain, uh, as far as I can tell, were contemporaries in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, uh, and okay. Gorilla is still doing their thing today. All right, let's do the second song. We'll play Devil Doll. Anything you want to say about it? Devil Doll's a little bit different than some of our other songs. It's got acoustic in it, uh, which we haven't really had on many songs before. Who plays the acoustic? Uh, I do. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually not too dissimilar to Miranda thematically. It was a song uh, I wrote when I was dating someone and then I didn't finish writing it until after we broke up. And so then it just takes this drastic. I forgot about that. That's awesome. And then you broke your leg and then I broke up with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That dude, that song's awesome for that. (laughs) Um, it's all the marks. It's still got its poppy elements, and it's it's got a punch to it too. Who's gonna pick up the twelve string first? That's the question, right? Yeah, yeah. Quinn and I are definitely like we, you know, are we love to work in a sort of exiled way. Like if we're given unlimited time and unlimited instruments, we will put them all on there. Uh, we'll find a way to get you know sixteen guitar tracks, a lot of auxiliary, <laughs> whole army of didgeridoos in there, and you know. If Still, someone this is like two and a half minutes long. If someone gave us enough time and money, we could make the worst record in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the so worst mixed someone record out there. in the world. Uh, that's so yeah. true. You're right. We got we to gotta, uh, gotta think about a 12-string, Mr. Quinn. I think, I think Tony's just hit, hit us with the producer card pretty hard. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can throw a bunch of shit out because I'm not responsible for it. I love it. <laughs> <It's> well, <laughs> like, so he's like, "What was that guy doing in uh, Cheap Trick with the eight-string bass?" He's like, "Yeah, that." <laughs> I'll get right on that. Yeah, Jerry, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I definitely wouldn't think of. <laughs> okay, so here's Double Dog. Yeah. 
things about your early days of punk. Uh, what do you remember about it? I mean, uh, you know, there's the early days as in like in middle school, figure, finding out all the music uh, with Nick. You know, Nick and I met in middle school and we would just go over to each other's houses and listen to records and go to the music store and play all the guitars and hang out downtown and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, right after, right around the time I like dropped out of high school, uh, Nick and I hadn't seen each other in a bit. And he just calls me up and he's like, dude, I found this cool place. It was this house venue, uh, dark place. And we all, I think it's where I ended up meeting Charles too. And then, you know, that was like a whole nother beginning days of punk for me. Cause then I was not just out on my own, listening to the music on my own. I was part of a community for a bit too. That was also involved in the scene. Hey, those were, uh, those are wild times, a dark place. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point though. There is that sort of period when you're a kid and you're listening to, I remember, you know, being out in the suburbs and like listening to like TSOL and playing, you know, like Tony Hawk games and stuff and hearing punk rock and, you know, wearing my Ramon shirt and kind of walking around the suburbs, like a, a bit of a lone wolf and people looking at you funny for it a little bit, uh, even back then. But then we, we moved to the city and, uh, I remember I started going to more shows and meeting people and, you know, we touched earlier on our buddy Osiris and his band, uh, you know, him and I have been going to shows together since we were like 13 years old. And, you know, I remember when he was just a little rockabilly kid and he go, he went by shenanigans and, uh, yeah, shenanigans. You know, shenanigans. Yeah. And we'd, you know, just be hanging out at punk shows all the time. And it's, it's funny, you know, like Portland's got such a small town feel to it always has, uh, and a lot of those people that we grew up going to shows with are still here. And, you know, we all still are close friends. And so I remember, you know, like for me anyways, in those early days of punk, it was just a strong sense of community and fun. And there was a lot of people that I still see today. And we talk about, you know, just being stupid kids and doing stupid stuff or whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's just weird. Like, I don't know, some people grow up and go to the same school with people for years. Some people grow up and go to the same shows with people for years. And, you know, that's kind of, I was, I was blessed to have that. Jerry, did I meet you at Dark Place too? Um, maybe. I, I, the first time I really remember meeting you was, uh, was, was at that Mac stop over in the Hollywood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really possible we could have hung out at Dark Place and just didn't really notice I feel like I met you before the Dark Place, even Quinn. But I think Dark Place is when we really started hanging out. Like, yeah, I think we met once. I remember Nick like brought yeah. me up to your house. Yeah, and left immediately, and you and I just sat there in silence. But like, man, I terrible. Hate yeah, it was just terrible. We're <laughs> 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 not stoked on each other when uh, I first introduced you guys. Yeah, there was definitely a getting to know each other phase for sure. No. Tell me about Dark Place. I've never been. Where was it? What bands did you see there? Oh boy, the Dark oh. Place <laughs> house venue on Killingsworth. Yeah, Killingsworth and something. Twenty eighth and Killingsworth, boys. The yeah. Dark Place. It was uh, just a real dive of a house. Uh, the base. What years? The this was probably like 2013 to about 2017 ish. Okay. Um, there was a pipe in the basement that broke, um, and just leaked sewage everywhere. 
So the whole house smelled like shit. It was terrible. Um, and there was this half pipe in the backyard and this like weird little concrete fixture, sort of like quarter pipe skate park thing people had built. Uh, and it was surrounded by all this new development and it was right on Killingsworth. So it was a real eyesore and uh, people were constantly trying to get us out of the neighborhood. But there was like questions as to who was the deed holder. And so there was basically somebody that was just allowing this kid at the time who will remain unnamed because we are not a fan of him. Uh, and he was kind of running the house at the time or whatever. And so like, whatever, we just go over there and have band practices. So many bands started there. My old band guns started there. <laughs> Our buddies band air uh, cigarette burns started there. I'm trying to remember of like, like we would see macho boys there. We would see uh, well, a nice there. there. What's yeah. that? Play a lot. I saw, yeah. Tis test. Um, yeah, a bunch of those bands. I don't know if a lot of them are still going anymore, unfortunately. It was real flash in the pan group, but a lot, of, a lot of cool music was coming out of there. It was just, it was, what is that? What's the word I'm looking for? Bedlam in there, man. It was just, uh, it was, it was just everything. Graffiti and, you know, horrible bottles everywhere. I, I couldn't believe people lived there. It was, and then I remember after the shit pipe broke, after the shit pipe broke, our buddy Jordan Hooper ended up moving to the basement and we were all like, Jordan, what are you fucking moving into the basement for, dude? And he was like, nah, dude, it's all good. He's like, I've always wanted to live in a punk house. And we were like, this is not it, dude. We were like, do not do this yeah. He's like super healthy bicycle rider, dude. And we we're just like, man, this is not the move, dude. It's great. Do they have a hepatitis vaccine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just get it and then you <laughs> and then you can go. Yeah, rub some dirt on it and you're good. <laughs> Cooking in that kitchen once and that was questionable. Yeah, there was that ZZ Top record too that was posted up on the wall that has all the food. I think I can't remember it's like Tejas or something, but it has like just that picture of that all that food and stuff, that big old spread, and it was just up on the wall and it fit right. There's like a horrible mattress you'd ever seen just like hanging in the living room. Um bands would play, they'd have to push it up the front. Yeah, against the door. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about the mattress, like the soundproofing mattresses, like that was going to help. And yeah, they just put these like queen mattresses up against the windows and like spray painted dark place on them. I remember they tried to change the name after a while. They tried to change the wrestling room or something like that. What was it? The ring. Yeah. The ring. They tried to change it to the ring and that was just like, oh, it was so bad at that point. Like, what the hell are you talking about? This is the dark place, you stupid yeah. Rupert. Yeah. Yeah. We were having fun. I remember that time we were just like breaking that. We broke those TVs in the yard. And we were just like, there was this weird spot behind the quarter pipe uh, that people would just throw bottles. And I don't know why this became a thing, but just like for like two or three years, people would just throw bottles behind this quarter pipe. Uh, and we were so like every time somebody would skate it, we'd be like, "Hey, be really careful!" Like there's just a graveyard of broken glass. <laughs> I don't know whoever did like the property development afterwards, but they definitely had to rip out some jankety old half pipe, some concrete quarter pipe, and then clean up like four years of like broken pump bottles. <laughs> that was that was a thing. Birthday, I definitely dressed up as a slice of pizza and threw a toilet through a glass table there. That's right. Oh my god. That's right. That day was great. <laughs> then we went to the movie, so it was great. 
and we shaved thin Lizzie into your head or we tried to, but it didn't work. So we tried, so we made it say thick lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Oh, wow. That was sick. Yeah, we were, dude, we were just so ignorant back then. We were having a good time. <laughs> it is the funnest time. Now everybody's got a job. Yeah. Now we're all old. Yeah. I know. God, some of you are even like pushing 30. I know. Yeah. Getting there. <laughs> if I'm, I'm, still, I'm still writing teenage <laughs> songs. Pete Shelley would be proud. No. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yes. What were the first shows you went to? What were the first bands you remember seeing? Nick and I went to see Ringo and his all-star band. I think that was the first time. <laughs> <time. laughs> cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the very first, I think the very first couple shows I would go to would be like my dad used to play in this group in town uh, called LaVon LaVan. Um, if you're old school Portland, you'll remember LaVon LaVan. Uh, yeah. It was this Croatian guy, Slavo, and they ended up getting like a bit on Comedy Central for a while. Like Comedy Central wanted to do a bit with them or some shit, but it was just this like really ridiculously porny lounge act and they would play with like really ridiculous bands like you remember that movie uh, Old School with Will Ferrell? Yeah. Okay, so the band that plays at the wedding uh, is the cover band that's like, you know, saying, you know, like, they're like, I fucking need you now more than ever, you know? <laughs> yeah. So they're called the Dan Band, and they do cover songs that were like all female bands, but they're, you know, a bunch of dudes, and that was their shtick at the time. Uh, and that was the very first show I ever saw <laughs> La Band and the Dan Band uh, and I remember being like me and my brother were like really excited to see this band because we had just seen like old school and I can't remember they were in some other movie but we were just like yeah like no way we're gonna see that band right my dad's playing them it'll be great we watched the show it was totally cool and then my dad I remember we're in the green room afterwards and I remember just being fascinated by the cold cuts and all the beverages I was like these guys are a big fucking deal I was like this. I was like this is. I was like don't just get cold cuts and like you know soda pops. I was like that was like holy crap, you know. And so I really wanted to meet these dudes. And my dad was like, oh yeah, we can meet them. And I remember we're going up the stairs and they're coming down the stairs. And my dad, just like contemporary musician, just like oh hey, you know these are my kids. Blah blah blah. The dude was such a dickhead to us and was just like ah, you know, I was like trying to get back to the green room. And I remember just being eight years old and just mortified and just being like oh my. God, you know, but uh, I figured he had to get to the cold cuts and free beverage. <laughs> well, that's a sign of success. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, those are those are like my first shows for sure. It was like just going to my dad's gigs and stuff like that. Yeah, my uh, my older brother uh, had a band when he was in high school, and my older sister, his boyfriend, had a band. So I was like, I would like go to all those local shows in Eugene when I was like fucking eight, nine years old. Uh, they, they got a couple of, uh, my, my brother actually, um, got some other bands, like he books them to go on tour through Eugene. He got, he got horse, the band oh, to play yeah, yeah. at, um, the, at the Irving Grange in Eugene, in Springfield, well, yeah, Eugene, but yeah, just, just, just punk shows, weird shows, just out of little Grange in a fucking, you know, just this weird part of town. But uh, and then besides that, the first like big like bigger show I went to was Warp Tour in uh, I think like like '06. Battle Legion headlined, and yeah. then I saw Battle Legion again like a month later in Vegas because I just moved there and yeah. 
I also remember when I was a kid, there was a venue in town called Rock and Roll Pizza. Rock and Roll Pizza. Rock and Roll Pizza was like it. That was was it, dude. It was right out on like 156th and Holgate or something. Well, (laughs) yeah, I think it it was like, I think it's 136th and Foster or Powell, but it was was Rio's Ribs for a while. But either way, yeah, it's out in the sticks. It's out in the (laughs) middle of nowhere. And it was just this horribly greasy like two-piece venue with like a bar on one side and this open sort of stage room in the other and i remember my dad would play shows all the time there with this group called the business suit guy which was just an even more ridiculous project of like my dad and my uncles but then my brother's band would play at the time too and they were in this group called seventh gate which you know has gone on to a lot of different iterations but uh I can't, I think now is known as like unto others or something. They would play with like local heavy metal bands. And I remember seeing like all these old thrash shows there. And me and that guy, Osiris, would go to shows at Rock and Roll Pizza all the time and smoke weed at the elementary school and like, you know, hey, Mr. People for beers and stuff. <laughs> you know, <it> was sick. <laughs> uh, you know, like Osiris was just tiny, uh, always been a really small guy. Yeah, I was just huge at the time. I was like, 300 pounds in the eighth grade. So it was just this like massive punk and this little tiny rockabilly kid just <laughs> like, hey, mister, hey, mister, hey, mister. <laughs> this is so bad, dude. What are the best shows you've seen? The oh. Damned with these guys. Yeah. The Damned. Yeah, that, was, that show was incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, with these guys. Arcade. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like so I, I worked at the uh, Crystal Ballroom for like five years and saw a ton of cool shows there. Um, top of my head, I think my favorite might have actually been Gogo Bordello. Really? They're so oh. goddamn fun live. Yeah, I, 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 this special has always blown me away with how good they are live. They, I think they have a, tr- a sound guy that travels with them uh, when they tour, and it makes such a big difference. They always sound so fucking good live. Like it's always mixed insanely well when they play live and they, right. I, I, you know, I've seen them like four times now and I'll see them every time still just cause they're so good every time. Right. Yeah. I always think every time I see them come back, I'm like, fuck, I've seen them 10 times. Do I need to see them again? And I have such a good time every yeah, time I go so good every time. Yeah. Every it time, so well. it's the same songs, but it's still yeah. in the same order usually too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw them play twice at the Crystal, like four years apart or something. And every and both times he made like the same jokes about like the divider there that divides like the all ages and the twenty one upside. Oh, cool! Oh like, my god! On that joke for four years, just waiting. <laughs> you came back oh, the same joke again. I saw. I saw like super random shot like. I like, like, you know, everyone's always like cool bands, right? But I definitely uh, got a random ticket to Built to Spill and Cake one time. And oh, awesome. uh, hands down, one of the greatest shows I've ever been to. Uh, I had no idea who Built to Spill was at the time. And like I said, you know, big emo fan. Uh, and I saw them and I remember, like, that was the first time I saw a band that had like four guitar, four or five guitar players on stage. <laughs> and uh, I was just like, I remember initially being like, at the time, the guy I was, I was much more, uh, was less, less like that's cool and much more like that's lame. Right. Um, so I saw it and I was like, what are the fucking four or five guitar players? I was like, what are you playing? Right. And they just blew me away. They were playing Wasted Years uh, from cover to cover and which is now, you know, my favorite Built to Spill album. And I was just like, oh, 
my God. It's and it's cool when you go to a show not knowing who a band is, and then you're just blown away by that band. And you go and learn everything about that band. And it didn't even matter that you couldn't sing along to the songs or anything. It was just such an incredible show that you're like, oh, well, this is incredible. Lifelong fan now, though, for sure. That was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Maybe I need to listen to them. They're fun, man. Uh, they're really cool. Just like alternative music, uh, very classic '90s alternative, right? Like super fun, old school. They've been around forever. Uh, never really had like a major hit, but kind of definitely well respected group. They're they're super fun. Yeah, the guy that used to babysit me as a kid did a lot of their uh, album art. Oh, really? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like just very rainy day Northwest music. Yeah, yeah. The, the album uh, "Perfect from Now On" super good, incredible. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, I I, I remember it's like uh, it's one of those bands too that I'll, I'll always like I'll be playing it and just like the most normal of the normal or the most alternative alternative guy will be like, oh hell yeah, built to spill right on man. It's just it seems like it seems like a pretty universal band or whatever. They're just like everybody likes them. Yeah. Also, we're seeing Devo again, boys, which is incredible. Yeah. Man, I can't see them for a third time. I know. It'll be number two for me, and I'm very yeah. excited. When is that? In Portland? Th- no, they're playing uh, at Punk Rock Bowling, and we're, we're playing with oh, right. uh, the chicks at Punk Rock Bowling on uh, September 24th. Yeah, yeah, we're playing one of the club shows uh-huh. with Luna Chicks, Mean Jeans, and Dog Party. It's going to be, be awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's absolute dream. It's, I'm so I'm so fucking excited. Yeah, we've always wanted to play with the Mean Jeans for so long, and it's really weird that um, our first show with them is in Vegas and not Portland. Yeah, yeah I agree. That's <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah, I've been listening to that band since I was like 14, uh, rocking Steve Don't Party No More. Um, just wanting to play with this group for so long. It's so cool. Like, I can't believe it. What bands have been the biggest influence on you guys? <laughs> Uh, as a band or as individuals? Both. I think, Let's start with individuals. Yeah, on an individual level, I went through this big phase where I got really, really into like Mississippi and Delta Blues uh, right when I first started playing guitar. And, you know, Robert Johnson, Mississippi, John Hurt, uh, Lightning Hopkins, even, he's from Texas, but, it, you know, Blind Willie McTell, all that stuff really, really heavily influenced me and how I... Uh, heard music, what I looked for in music, how I played music, uh, what I kind of understood music's purpose to be. And it was just a really important discovery for me, all that stuff. And it still influences me to this day. Just seeing the roots where like, that's about as far back as you can look and say, this is where rock and roll started. Right. I'd say my biggest influence musically, um, like a motorhead. I don't know, just... It's fucking Motorhead. And what's what's not to love, really? Because it's drug Yeah, butt rock, man. Butt rock, butt rock, butt rock. Uh, I'm a huge Poison fan, huge Guns N' Roses fan. Um, I was, like, you know, that's what I was raised on, was, like, Kiss, Guns N' Roses, uh, you know, like, ACDC, and then, you know, starting to get into more, like, classic rock and stuff like that, Jimi Hendrix. That, like, for sure was a huge influence to me. Um, 90s radio rock, like, anything that was just contemporary radio music in the 1990s, you know, like, 
that I, it's so funny. I'll be writing songs and I'll hear some of these songs and I'll just be like, Oh, that's where I picked that up. Like for sure. That's where that came from or whatever. And it'll be like the most random bands, like this and like Goo Goo Dolls and you hear like semi-charmed kind of life or something. And you're like, Oh yeah, for sure. Like that had a profound effect on the way that I write music. Like no question. So I would say for sure, just like butt rock and nineties radio rock, uh, with like, from a very young age shaped me and then as far as like the philosophy of rock and roll and taking that and making it so that it's not like lame you know like poison idea and sort of like being a student of tom pigs and just like his approach to the instrument and how he was you know really intent about you know you can just play you know like chuck berry kind of riffs and you know really cool <laughs> right-handed work and and it's just kind of it's about how you're playing it and your your approach to these songs not necessarily about like the technical proficiency or whatever the fuck you know oh man um bands that influence me personally are so you know how my mom's like og la hardcore punk rocker so my version yeah. of like Inch rebellion is like Steve Miller Band and Primus. Yeah, for sure. Lots of Primus. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> you knew your mom would hate it. And then I ended up listening to like a bunch of Frank Zappa, which pissed the hell out of my mom, which I love. Uh, and then like uh, Chuck kind of got me in more. And then that uh, like got me into Mr. Blungle, which annoyed my mom to no fucking extent <laughs> i don't blame her yeah and so just i was just like oh cool weird drums and funny voices that's what i like and then i'm like oh yeah sparks weird drums and funny voices yeah that's awesome man or it's like any kind of band that has like it's like kind of unconventional but in that it becomes its own convention and it's just stupid and kind of annoying and it just turns into like weird fucking cum music about just really like Frank Zappa for a while oh I was so into Frank Zappa and it definitely uh, made me like pretty insufferable as a person I'm sure <laughs> that's true that's true I can I can I can attest to that. yeah that was, yeah. That was a good all for sure that's the other thing yeah. is we've all known each other since we were like, like Quinn, Nick and I have known each other since we were like 14 ish, you know, like around that time, probably like 15, 16, actually for Quinn and I, maybe a little bit of, no, maybe I met you like 17, huh? Quinn. I, w I was 16 when I met you. So yeah, I was like, you know, I, I was probably 17. I was about 17. That's crazy. We've known each other for a long time. That's insane. I met Nick when I was 11. I met you when I was 16. I met Jerry when I was 18, I think. It's just so funny. We've seen each other through all these like fun phases of our lives and whatnot. And I think that's like one of the things I love about the new stuff that we got coming out too, is that, you know, we've watched each other go through all these phases. We've been these different people with each other. And now we're, I feel like, you know, Oh, we're all, we're all here. We're all ready to go. And the music we make now is I think a reflection of that. And we've come so far from the stuff that we first started making to the stuff that we're making now. There's just, such i think i think the maturity shows through in in the product for sure what do you guys have planned for after covid oh we got a lot planned right now we're playing up in seattle with uh the missions which is sean from cracker bash's new band uh on august 21st and then uh i believe on September 10th is when we're playing the Rocker Mountain Ripper Fest. 
uh, with like Rambler, the Whiffs, uh, Wildlife, uh, so many more, Camino, just all those like current uh, like East Coast power pop bands basically that are around right now are all coming to Denver and us and the Sadists got invited out to to represent the West Coast. Roselip Bone too. Yeah, Roselip Bone, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. that's going to be real fun. Uh, and then uh, we're playing our friend Just Cat's birthday, September 18th in Portland. And we're playing Punk Rock Bowling September 24th. Busy schedule. Yeah, we got Punk Rock Bowling the 24th, like Quinn said. Uh, and I think we're going to be doing a little three-day tour with our label mates, the Bridge City Sinners, on our yeah. way out there, which should be pretty cool. And uh, we're putting together a record release show for the single. But, you know, things are so busy right now that it's it's, you know jamming what you know four fingers into three holes or whatever yeah it's hard to try and book right now because everyone's trying to we're lucky enough yeah. that we have an agent for us to yeah help with some of it you know it definitely gives us leverage on you know getting into things like punk rock bowling and getting those tour dates beforehand yeah big yeah. shout out to jay crash and crash yeah. the silent records he's been so great to us uh has really helped us out with so much and teaching us how to turn our band into an LLC, copyright all of our music and, you know, not go into these more professional situations uh, blind with our pants around our ankles, you know, but really putting us in a position to succeed and uh, not have our music taken from us, which I've seen just so many incredible bands, unfortunately, deal with that situation, you know, like, for instance, Devo. It's, you know, just one of the most tragic stories of the record industry. And, you know, thank God Mark Mothersbaugh is so talented and found so many other ways to be such a talented individual. And there's another person who, you know, on the note of inspirational music, you know, like all the work he did with soundtracks uh, and the stuff he did for like Rugrats and Nickelodeon um, was really, really like I listened to a lot of weird ambient music. Uh and definitely Mark Mothersbaugh was a big reason and uh, just becoming obsessed with the scores that he did and all that kind of stuff really gave me this perspective about music that it's not just always going to be a contemporary two and a half minute song or some eight minute heavy metal ballad, but it might just be a two hour piece of sound and that's music as well. And, you know, there's this approach to it as, you know, like sound is art kind of thing that I, I think definitely people like Mark Mothersbaugh and Hiroshi Yoshimura and uh, William Basinski and stuff like that really kind of instilled into my mind, which is kind of hard to apply to power pop, but uh, <laughs> it's, you know, definitely like, I don't know. It's a thing, right? When you start getting into that more auxiliary percussion side of things and sort of the post-production of things, it's, it's really helpful to, to think about like, well, what would Mark do? Right. Like, then just try some crazy stuff. Well, a lot of people just because some people don't even think about it or don't care or don't have the money to get lawyers. How, how'd you end up with the people helping you to copyright and right. do all that? Uh, he, came to one of our shows i was i was i was working at a pizza place downtown called sizzle pie uh mm-hmm. throwing some pizzas up everybody knows it uh whatever um one of my security guards there was uh jay crash 
Quinn made a Facebook post saying, uh, Hey, we're, you know, looking for a manager. Uh, we're looking to hire somebody on, um, just kind of shooting, shooting fish or whatever, hoping, hoping something hit. Uh, and Jay listened to our album, uh, unbeknownst to me and approached me at work one day and kind of explained to me who he was, what he did and, uh, explained to me that he would be interested in kind of trying to help us out. And I, it's so funny. Cause I remember like, you know, poo-pooing, uh, our like demos, the stuff before the EP, I was like, you know, we really could have done better. So blah, blah, blah. And I was talking to him about that. And I was like, Oh, we got, you know, you always, you always tell people you think you have an opportunity with about how good the stuff coming is going to be. Right. Like, cause you're so excited <laughs> so much coming down the lines, like, Oh, you don't even know. Right. And then he, he told me something that's always kind of stuck with me and gave me this kind of interesting perspective to just sort of like pump the brakes. And he was like, like, well, your record was good enough for me to talk to you. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, like, you're your own worst critic and your perceptions of what you've just done. You know, I'm terrible imposter syndrome like that. You know, I never am able to give myself the credit for the work that right. and I have just done. Uh, so it really helps to have that external validation, whether or not, you know, like that's shallow of me or not in, in this industry, it means so much. Well, I think it's pretty common. Yeah. Right. It's human. It's that human side. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think there's so much, there's so much posturing and circumstance in this industry, especially at sort of the lower tier of things when you're really trying to make a name for yourself and we're still involved in all that, that it's, it's really easy to get lost in, in who you are. And it's easy to start saying, you know, like negative things to yourself or about yourself. And, and it's so nice to have, you know, like just a little bit of reassurance once in a while and somebody saying, Hey dude, you're killing it. You and your friends are making cool music, and I really appreciate it. Right? Like that's just that's a great thing to hear. Relax and enjoy yourself. Yeah, exactly. To you know, taking the moment for sure. I'm not good at doing that myself. But Hell no, I'm so bad at it. I'm like I I'm an extroverted person, but uh, I have horrible social anxiety. <laughs> and I, I live for those moments where i'm just like cripplingly nervous right i know i'm doing something right if i'm on stage and i'm just overwhelmed with jitters and nerves uh then i know i'm in the right place i know i'm doing something to push myself and try to you know be great be excellent and like you know like that's something i think i've noticed in the town a little bit lately is people are making better music um, it seemed like for a while there, you know, to touch a little bit on what you said, uh, like a question you asked earlier about like, what's something you're not maybe the biggest fan about in this city is I feel like there was a while there where people were just putting out anything. Um, and a lot of it wasn't really about the music, but more about like fitting in and being part of this scene and, uh, you know, whatever, like, that's fine. That always happens. But I think maybe with the year and a half off, people have had a lot of time to analyze their products, say, uh, this is music and I want to make good music. And I feel like whatever, maybe it's just by proxy because people have had time, but the bands that I have seen and heard since the pandemic and the shows that I've been to have been so rad. And the music has just been so good that that's something that's really, really, uh, put a smile on my face in this town lately sort of going along with what chuck said about how it seems like people are putting out better stuff it also seems like um there's been a shift like a shift um from people being focused on it as a scene 
and they're more interested in it as a community, which I feel is like a very important differentiation. I agree. Um, because as a, team, a community is to, you know, help support your the people around you, you know, fucking help your friends and family, you know? And I feel like a scene is more about gathering clout. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I'd go down to that. We'd go down to Long Beach or whatever. And, uh, it, you know, there was this real sense of community down there. And I felt, you know, so welcomed by all those bands, you know, Nico Bones, Fly Traps, and Crazy Squeeze, Crazy Squeeze, Telephone, you know, like those are all boys. And it's been, you know, it's such a good time going down there and playing with those guys. Uh, that's a lot of generations between those bands you just said. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's well, and that's our that's our point of the community, right? Like it's, yeah. it's this you know deep seated thing. There's these generations. There's you know, and it's not just like bands. It's like you know people putting on market events and people you know making crafts and like selling them and doing fundraisers and being really mindful of like what their community needs and trying to uh, play towards some of those needs, I guess. And at the same time, just giving people a cool thing to do on the weekend. Doesn't It's not like, you know, every show has to be some great social exercise. It's, it's you know, like it can just be a cool rock show and that can be the greatest thing for people. But yeah, up here, sometimes you get back and you're, everyone just feels, it feels a little divided sometimes, but it's felt a lot less that way recently. It feels like people are coming together. Yeah, I think the break helped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe people just need a little time off <laughs> <laughs> to think about what's important and not take yeah. everything for granted yeah uh, absolutely i'm sure I mean, because in portland before the pandemic i mean you could see a show somehow related to punk five nights a week and dj every single night anything yeah, you wanted right. to do yeah yeah absolutely right yeah yeah and there was and, and so it's easy now. to take that for granted Exactly. I was saying that I was saying that like to, to a couple friends of mine, you know, just the other day where I was like, there was so many venues in town that rock shows, you would talk to clubs and you'd be like, Hey, you know, can we do a gig on the weekend? And I, you know, like for instance, like at the liquor store, you, they stopped doing any rock shows on the weekend. It was only DJ gigs on the weekend. Bands were getting paid 50 bucks to open clubs. You know what I mean? And it was cause there was, you know, whatever, so many venues in town that were putting on so many shows every night of the week that if you were a band and you're like, Hey, can my band play here? They're like, no, like five people are going to show up. There's so many shows happening. Like, you know, There's six shows. That I'm night. losing money on a Saturday because your fucking band's playing. So it, it made total sense. Uh, you know, there's a girl I've been talking to in town. She's super cool. She does lose your mind fest. Elizabeth, wonderful woman. Uh, you know, she really is. She believes in paying opening bands well and getting them their fair cut and treating them like, you know, they're important. And, you know, I think that, we've been seeing a little bit more of that recently and I hope to see more of it because it makes a huge difference and it just makes the show so much better and so much more fun to be at. So where can people get your stuff? Hmm. Uh, you can order uh, our uh, EP Waste of Time uh, and our new single Miranda through Grass Assailant Records and then uh, you can you can purchase either of them from iTunes uh whatever other uh apple music uh amazon it's all on spotify all of our music should be on every streaming platform and good to go Bandcamp is a great place if you want to buy our music all that money just goes straight to us in that case 
But if you want a physical copy, you got to order through Crash Assailant Records right now or come to one of our shows. Uh, there's also a lot of record stores around town that are carrying it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so like Second Avenue, we keep selling out there. Uh, Creature Closet in town has been carrying the records. Um, and the shirts at Creature's Closet too, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. a bunch of, you can get our shirts, our merch, all at Creature Closet. Chris is a really cool guy. Go check his shop out and give him some support. He's, he's definitely worth your money. Um, then Exiled Records has us. Uh, cool Queen Noise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah we got to drop some more off. I think they still have them at Everyday Music, Music Millennium, and Blackwater. And there might be one left at uh, Landfill Rescue Unit. But I think everywhere else might have sold out. All right, boys. Doing all right there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Go us. <laughs> well, thank you for showing up. Dude, thanks uh, for having us, Tony. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Of course. So we'll close out with See You Again, part one. Nice. Tell us about this song. Nick? Uh, man, this one, um, it opens our uh, our EP, Waste of Time. I'm singing on it. We got uh, some biters and uh, Doug Smith and the Restless Hearts. Yeah, he's singing on it. Vocals. Uh, yeah, we recorded it in uh, Joe Queer's Garage in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I think you people are really going to like it. It's a rocker. Man, How'd you end up recording in Atlanta? So we actually opened up for the queers uh, and the Dickies, and we were just like giddy, giddy, giddy about it, right? We couldn't believe it. As you know, I've been listening to you know Don't Back Down and stuff since I was a kid, and uh, you know, huge Dickies fan, and Nick's mom being the LA punk that she is, uh, you know, big Dickies fans. Uh, whatever, we get the gig, we play the show, we do really well, we keep our set really tight. Uh, and some like a movie Joe Queer like runs up on the side of the stage and like grabs my wrist and like pulls me off like right as we're done playing. And he goes, hey, man, I want to talk to you. And he's just got such a New York accent. It's so funny. He goes, <laughs> he goes back in the 90s, my band opened up for the Ramones. OK, Joey Ramone pulled me off the stage just like this. And he said to me, do you know what he said to me? I was like, no, man, I don't. He goes, 22 <laughs> minutes, kid. He goes, keep your set. 22 minutes. You guys did just that. He sounded great, man. He goes, I would love to have you down south in my studio if you guys want to come down. And I was just like trying to play it cool. I was just like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, that sounds all right, right? You know, but like the 14 year old kid in me is just like, you know, singing granola head and then and just like freaking out, you know what I mean? And uh, so I was like, yeah, of course. Like, that sounds great, man. Thank you. He's like, awesome. He's like, go out there, have a good time. He's like, go go live, basically. And so I remember right after that, I ran straight to the crowd. And I saw it because I saw Nick, Jerry, and Quinn standing there. And I just ran to him as fast as I could in the middle of the crowd. And I told him, I just like screamed it at him while the Dickies were playing. I remember it was in the middle of water slide. And uh, we just all started like jumping up and down like schoolgirls. And we were just like freaking out in the middle of this crowd, just like, we're, we're going to Atlanta. And you know, like the Dickies are playing. It was it was a really special moment. It was it was really incredible. And when we were down there, it was super cool too. He like Joe really took on a role as a producer for us, which was really fun. He he played that card really well and really helped us out. You know, he got us some really crucial gear. He got us this old pre CBS sixty eight Fender Deluxe uh, that we ended up tracking. Yeah, that we ended up tracking all the guitars through. I just did that in an SD one W from Boss and just gave us a great sound. Uh, and he ended up calling up Tuck Smith from, you know, like Biters, Tuck Smith and the Restless Heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, heart attacks. Heart attacks. Yeah. And I, uh, 
you know, he was like, I, he's like, oh, you know, I think my friend Tuck would really dig you guys' stuff. He's like, you know, I could probably call him up and see if he'd want to come sing for you guys or something, if, if you'd like that. And we were all just like, again, trying to play it super cool, you know, just be like, yeah, yeah, like that'd be, that'd be amazing, man. Like, how cool would that be? Uh, and Tuck came down, he's a super cool guy, really nice, and sang some songs for us. Him and Dan actually ended up coming down. And they did some harmonies for us and gave us a couple pointers and, you know, really, really made a couple songs pop. And then Dan ended up mixing the record for us or whatever. And yeah, it was super, super cool situation. Yeah. I think I had just like offhandedly mentioned that, like, I think he asked us about like Atlanta bands that we knew about or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. The booze and the biters. Then he was like, Oh yeah, I can just call Tuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We're just like, Oh, all right. That'd be cool. (laughs) And then yeah, they're singing backups on, I don't know, at least half the songs on it. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe queer sang on it too, which was super cool. He was super into it, you know, and it's too bad because, you know, we ended up getting hit with the pandemic and didn't really get a, run the record up as much as we wanted to, you know, we ended up not going to do a lot of promotions and, uh, didn't really get to do a video for it or anything, which was, which was too bad. So I think we'll, you'll probably in the future be seeing some of that stuff from us, like retroactively it's, you know, it's, you know, we're on, we're on our way though. And so, you know, can't cry over spilled milk, right. (laughs) Just keep moving. And, uh, you know, and it's just like, yeah, what, you know, what are you going to do? But, uh, what it was in, you know, incredible. Oh, that was the other thing. Uh, we were talking, Joe and I were talking. He ended up going to rehab with my uncle, which is really bizarre. I was, I was in chat with him and I, he was like, I was talking to him about Poison Idea for a second. He was like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, I was like, oh, yeah, Slayer's my uncle, man. And he's just like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've known Slayer for years. We was like, well, we was in rehab together. And I was like, oh, dude, no way. That's so cool. And he told, like, there's this time uh, in my family's life where uh, Steve... Steve Hanford Slayer, you know, just kind of like disappeared and went to rehab uh, down in California. Nobody really knew what he was doing. Like, you know, nobody, it was just like this period of time where it was like, oh, Hanfi's gone. Uh, And then I was talking to Joe and I was like, this is weird. Like, you know about the lost time like you know about the time period that nobody in my family knows about and so i'm like talking to him and he's telling me all these stories about my uncle that i had never heard before and i was just like what a trip man like small world seven degrees of connection kind of thing you know i never thought i would be cutting it up with joe queer about my uncle and the pastime of my family about it's just so so unexpected and you know he was he was super cool to us rest in peace kim uh from the muffs she was writing a, a couple songs for us i guess and he had sent our stuff down to her and i guess she was telling us that she was super into it and wanted to do some songs for us so that was too bad you know i was a big muffs fan and i was like that would have been so cool to get to work with kim on some stuff and uh he had some like really cool stories just about talking to joey ramone and just about like you know go and take your opportunities and he he had this great story about when joey called him when he did wonderful world and you know played it to him through the phone and was just like you gotta check this out dude and told us about how they were supposed to do some record and then he ended up getting sick and uh passing on and he was just like i'll never forget he looked at me and he goes so if you ever have an opportunity to work with somebody 
take it, drop everything you're doing and take it because, because I put off my opportunity to work with Joey Ramone and then he died. And same thing happened with Kim, you know? And I was just like, fuck dude, son of a bitch. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Rest in peace. Walter Lure too. Yeah. Uh, Walter, I was excited. Dude, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a real fan of the band. He was great. And we were lucky to play with him. Yeah, what a, what a wonderful man and what a wonderful show. And his backing band was Slaughter and the Dogs. Yeah, Mick, dude, old Mick, Mick Ron. Him and Mick Nice and Scott. Oh, My that's dad. awesome. Where'd you play with them? Dante's. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, they came um, through here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it was the, yeah, I mean, it was the second to last show he played before he died, or I think. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. The last show he played was the one in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Oh, with the uh, with cool heads, yeah. Wow, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 so crazy. Yeah, he was such a cool guy. I'll never forget, like sitting downstairs at Dante's, watching my dad, Walter, and Mick just talk and just getting along <laughs> so well because they're all you know like you know, 60 and older, just chatting about the times. And they're just like yeah. looking over at us kids, like, God damn it. You know what I mean? And <laughs> it, was so, it was so funny. And uh, I remember talking to my dad and he was like, no, I really like that Mick guy. Like Mick guy is really, really nice. And I was just like, yeah, Mick fucking Ronson, dad. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I really like him too. <laughs> like, I hope you like him. He wears fucking band's shirt all the time. Yeah, exactly. No kidding. He's dead. I remember... Uh, he really was so cool though he really was just so nice you asked uh you asked walter you're like oh was here you asked him if like johnny thunders was nice <laughs> like, he, like he, he like he like turns he's like he, no what yeah i'm right. yeah. <laughs> like, get this question a lot he's like i don't think anyone's ever asked me yeah <laughs> i was so curious i was like was he like a nice guy and he was just like no dude. like not at all and i was like yeah i guess that doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> It's just so weird. Like, I feel so blessed, you know, you don't think you're going to have these opportunities to meet these people. And it's, it's cool and rock and roll. And you meet people and they're like really, really just decent down to earth people. And you're just like, like, you know, like you, it's, it's really cool to talk to you. You know, I'm a big wrist fan, you know, big nice close fans. Like, it's like, that's crazy to me. Right. You know, like this is, this is such a fun thing to do. And you meet all these people and you're like, you know, aside from the Dan band, like I told you guys about most everybody I've met uh, has been like really cool. And I'm sure there's going to be a few out there that I meet that maybe rub me the wrong way. But for now, anyways, man, I just feel like kid in a candy store and have been so blessed. Oh, you will meet them and they'll piss you off. With it. Yeah, he's like, Don't you worry. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, oh, it's coming. Yeah. You know, uh, next to one of those notorious bands, right. With one of those notorious leaders. So, but whatever. But, yeah. Man, Mick Rossi and Walter Lure, the, they were, they're nice. They're the nice ones. They were the best, dude. They were so, yeah. And they're just so down to earth. It was so funny. And you know, and Mick else? Rossi has uh, Mick Ronson's gold dust Paul. Yeah, no way. Yeah, oh, wait, I can yeah. on. I, I'm like, I'm like calling the ground since They were friends. He has that fucking gold dust Paul. That's fucking <laughs> crazy to me. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, Slaughter, Slaughter cool. and the Dogs are named after Slaughter on 10th Avenue and Diamond Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Was uh, 
Stan Lee. Stan Lee from the Dickies was really cool, and so was Leonard. Leonard was hilarious. Leonard, Leonard wasn't that nice, but... Yeah, but no, but that's why it was cool. He's like 80, dude. Like, of course he's not nice. It was so funny. I was sitting there eating pizza with him, and he's just bitching that they got him pizza. He's like, pizza? He's like, I'm 80 years old. You know, it's so funny. That's why on your rider, when you guys start throwing your riders around, make sure it says dinner, no pizza. No pizza, yeah. Cold, I'm like cold cuts and beverage. You know how I feel about those, Tony. I always knew at East End when I got a rider that I had to put out cold cuts and fruit plates, I knew I was going to lose money. <laughs> He's like, these bastards. <laughs> I just knew that the show was cursed. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the Luna Chicks? I don't yet. I'm super yeah. excited yeah, but to meet them. They were actually my sister's favorite band in high school, so she's so fucking jealous that I'm playing this show. Yeah. But yeah, we've never met him or anything. One no. time I like kind of I used to drink and do a lot of drugs, but like one time I kind of came to oh. in Seattle and I was with these guys, one guy from Canada and a guy from Minneapolis. And the guy from Minneapolis, like when I woke up, he pulled out like a softball of speed. Like oh, wow. the, just the biggest thing of speed I'd ever seen. <laughs> and so I lost track of how many days we were even up, but we just kept going and kept going. And he had a softball and the sun would come up and then it'd go down. And I don't even remember how many times. And then we finally got so spun out. We had to trade some of it for heroin. <laughs> and so just so like our hearts would stop beating yeah. so fast. And this woman was along with us for the whole ride. Like eventually a couple of days after we came down, and then we did speed for a couple more days and I finally just lost my mind. Like I, my head was about yeah. to explode. So I just went to the Greyhound station and said, I'm going home. <laughs> there was a girl that was with us for the entire ride and she, she was just as down and dirty. And, uh, he said that she was from the lunatic. Dude, sick. That's so sick. That's dude, so that's cool. so rad. They definitely seem the type, dude. They definitely seem like they party I'm super like, hard. Which one but I was. couldn't even remember her name. I just, yeah. Yeah. Like, unless it was the two people that I knew out of everybody we came across, I don't even remember who was involved. But uh, supposedly she was from the Lunatics. So I don't know if I'm going to put that in because I don't know for sure. Right. Dude, that'd be sick. I got to find out. I'm going to talk. I'm going yeah. to we'll ask about Tony. I'm going to go on. I'm sure we'll be cutting it up. A couple of us, we st I started, start, a couple of us started following each other on Instagram. Uh, they seem like really nice gals, man. They seem like super down to earth now and just like, you know, whatever. Like they remind me of a lot of my parents' friends and stuff, just like, you know, yeah. like total, total crazy party animals back in the day. And now they're just like, yeah, I don't know, full of great stories and really good riffs. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, should be a really good time. Like that was like what I was like talking to Joe, you know, when we were down there working with him, it was just like hanging out with your parents' friends and stuff. So it was just like really yeah. familiar and like really, really easy to talk and easy to get on. That'll be so fun. Hey, tell me about that Denver thing because oh, Holland yeah. is back having a I don't I don't know if we're going back to Holland for a while. Right. Because they're having the same like same kind of outbreak as before. Oh yeah. What's the what's the date on that Denver show? Um it's it's from the tenth, uh it's the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth of September. Um it's put on by that guy in Fast Eddie. Michael Wilson. Yeah, like uh from Fast Eddie. It's uh 
Hey, it's not sold out or anything. It's gonna uh, be. It's gonna be a killer time. We're playing the day stage, which is gonna be in the middle of the street. Uh, and uh, there's gonna be like a flea market going on, and then at the night stage, uh, is gonna be inside of some bar that I don't. <laughs> well, I will tell you, I'm not going inside regardless. So if you're playing the outside stage, hopefully yeah, it's, it's Rambler is too, because yeah. I'm not going inside. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. It's like dirty fences, ravagers, criminal kids, cheap tissue, the whiffs. Wow, How about that new Rambler single, huh? Yeah. Oh, it's Ravagers. It's Ra- Ravagers are playing, not Rambler. No, Rambler's playing. Oh, okay. Ravagers are playing too, I think. Yes. Oh, okay. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Killer Hearts, Camino, the Stiffies, Dirty Few, Bad Mother, Kids in the Heat. Are Alex's bands playing inside or outside? All of those ones are playing inside. The ones playing outside are uh, us and the Sadists. And the sinkers, dead shakes, ladies' night, psychotic action, situations, kinky fingers, uh, las tumbas, flight kamikaze, and cheap night out. Oh, well, I'll see all you guys outside. Oh yeah, I if, 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 I'm, if I'm still in Port- if I'm still here. Yeah, dude, I, I hope so, man. I really hope so. How long are you in Portland for? It's supposed to be till September first, but Europe's having another huge outbreak. So I, right. I don't, I don't want to go back to a lockdown at no. Turkey and shit. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather stay here. At least I can see my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. There's no shortage of people who want to see you here too, Tony. I'll tell you that. Everybody likes to go inside. I'm happy to do anything outside. I'm still know, a little scared right? to go inside. I don't know why. So I'm trying to put together, you know, like a generator show or something. Uh, I'd like to talk to somebody because I keep doing these bike rides on Thursdays. And it ends up at uh, a beach on the north side, usually. And there's a couple of different ones they cycle. But they've been putting on full-ass raves out there. You know? Oh, really? Have, yeah, they'll have like four tents. It'll be like five, 600 people on the beach. Just bass music blasting all night. There's no way the cops are coming for a rock show on the beach right now. It is, it is time, y'all. It is now is the time. Like they're, they're every like all the cops are too busy. You can do the one right yeah. by UAP. You can drive right up to it. I'm like, I'm about to go get a fucking loan and buy a generator just to put myself in debt just to throw some shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, fucking uh, use a credit card to buy a generator and then return it after every show. Yeah, busted. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Jerry, did you ever go to any generator shows out in the desert in Vegas, or were you too young? I can't remember when you said you lived there. Uh, so I'm, I lived, I lived there uh, from my like eighth grade until I finished uh, finished high school. But no, I never went to any generator shows or anything. Um. We did yeah, that one in that in that abandoned house that was kind of like a generator. Show. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh god, that was wild. Yeah. So, so when I, when I lived there, I mostly went to shows at like skate parks and uh, like House of Blues and shit. But uh, but yeah, but but there there was this venue out there. Well, venue called Eastside <laughs> Joe's. Um, uh-huh. I, I I had always heard about shows there when when I lived there. Never went to one, but we got a gig there with our old our old hardcore band Gun, and it's just a fucking trap house in a in a weird part of a neighborhood. And the big abandoned lot with this dirty old trap house and a rave promoter who was throwing <laughs> punk rock shows. There is a half pipe built into the house, and uh, it was 
on a neighboring lot to this 7-Eleven off of like a major thoroughfare, but the lot was huge. And there was this abandoned warehouse on the lot too. Uh, at the time, our hardcore band gun, we would take uh, old airsoft guns and we'd rip them apart and we'd wire microphones into them and then seal them back up. And then Nick would wear a ski mask and some underwear, uh, some tidy whities and some work boots. And uh, it was just a social commentary on how you could never understand the words at a punk rock show. And the singer may as well have it in his mouth. Uh, and people took it like really serious because the imagery was like very violent. Um, and that was like super intentional, obviously. But uh, we would do this bit on tour where Nick would roll up in his civ in his civvies, right? In his, in his regular old clothes. And then we'd pull a Clark Kent bit and we'd tell everybody that Nick was our manager. And that our singer was flying in from out of town and everybody would be like, Oh wow, you guys are a big, important band. You know, your singer's <laughs> flying in from the airport. You got this manager here, you know? And so we were like, yeah. So we get to Vegas this year and uh, we're doing the manager bit and East side Joe's like, Oh, right on. Cool. Like here's the venue. Then Nick goes out, changes into his show costume, the ski mask, the work boots, the underwear, and the gun. And he comes walking up to the venue, and Eastside Joe just flips his lid and pulls a gun out. Uh, and his buddy, you know, comes running out behind him with a power drill and just, like, throws this gun in his And he's like, who the fuck are you, motherfucker? Who the fuck are you? You know, like, Nick's just, like, crying. He's like, holy fuck, don't shoot me. It's me. I'm the fucking singer, dude. Like, what the fuck? And we're all like, dude, don't fucking kill him. Don't fucking kill him, you know? Uh, and he's He's like, oh, dude, why didn't you say so, man? Like, puts his gun away and like slaps him by. He's like, get in here, dude. Like, here, I know. I'll give you some weed. And we were just like, what the fuck? And we like played his show. And I remember like we were playing with this ska band, which was just enough as it was. And they're like, there's people skating and the show ended up being super fun, like kind of cool or whatever. And then afterwards, Eastside Joe's like, you guys mind if I pay you in weed? And we're just like, you fucking scumbag. We're like, you fucking piece of shit. Not even, dude. He gave us like a quarter ounce of some Vegas rag, but dude. And I'm just like, all right, like, cool. So, but we were, dude, we were so down. We took it like fucking pit bulls, man. We were, we were just like so happy. We were like, we just got so big. And I remember it was so funny. High all the way through Utah. <laughs> the best part of that was when Eastside Joe went, um, he grabbed a fucking power drill and went, Hey, man, fucking, I get the bit now. See, like you, and it had like a fucking bit in it, like as long as my fucking head. He holds it about this far away from my head, like fucking inches. And he goes, See, and you can sing with it in your mouth like a gun. Get it? <laughs> and he's like, oh my God. Like an inch away from my face, I was like, I get it. That's a good one, Eastside Joe. Oh, Eastside so Joe. You're a comedian. <laughs> what the fuck? Dude, like, he is insane. Was, and then we went back to Vegas the next year, uh, and we were on our way down, and we are going to play the show. And as we go down, we had this, like, legitimate gig all lined in. We were, like, excited for it. Jared had booked it. And we get a call as we're coming into Vegas, and uh, Jared gets off the phone, and he's like, fuck, man, son of a bitch. And we're like, what's up, dude? And he's like, well, the promoter died. And we're like, what? 
and he's like, yeah, I guess the promoter got in some horrible fucking car crash, dies, and the show gets not canceled, but they go, we got to, don't worry, we got, we're like, you can cancel the gig, it's all good, like, you know, like, we'll figure something to do, and he's like, nah, don't worry about it, I got a place you guys can play, you don't got to fucking worry about it. there's this house party happening, and you guys can go and rock it. They want you. And we're like, okay, right on. Like, here we go. Uh, so we drive out and it's in the burbs. It's in like, it's definitely the ghetto. Uh, and we're like, this is getting a little dicey. We're like, this doesn't look like a punk rock neighborhood. And we like start pulling up and the people outside the party were just like, it was like a bunch of gangsters and shit. And we're like, this is not like punks at all. And I remember getting out of the van and we just were like, you know, definitely sore thumbs wearing leather jackets and chains and stuff. And I was like, probably like 250 pounds at the time wearing like two chains hanging from my nose and like hair down to my ass pretty much. It's just like, just a menace really. Uh, and I remember walking up and there was all these like 16 year old kids with these matching white shirts and these white bandanas hanging out of their pockets. And there's one that was like posted by the fence gate. There's one posted by the front door. There's like three walking around the backyard because I'm tall enough I could see over the fence. And there's like two walking in the front. And I was like, okay, we just rolled up to some like real ass trap house. Great. I was like, I was like, I don't know what the fuck this place is, but there's like 300 people in the backyard. There's so many people there. It's the middle of the day at this point. And they're like, Hey, you guys are the band, right? And we're like, oh shit. Like, yeah, we're like, we're the band. And so we go rolling back there and this dude has this DJ booth set up on a string of extension cords that is pulled taut around a corner into a laundry room that's like linked up to some fucking extent. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, so where do we plug in, guys? And we were like pulling out our amps and stuff. And this guy, I'll never forget, this kid walks up to me. He's like some just little hood rat. He goes, Oh, you guys brought the big amps. And I was like, oh man, like, no, I was like, I was like, like he thought we were all just gonna be playing out of like little combos and stuff or whatever. We're like, yeah, and it was weird too. Like, it was just, oh man, I started seeing more and more of the dudes and I realized everybody was high on ecstasy. I realized that like that was like the hustle of this like little rat pack was like they would sell waters, ecstasy, and tickets to the door. And I totally admired them for it. I was like, you guys are fucking killing it. Like, you're probably making money hand over fist right and i asked which appeared to be the leader of them all i was like hey you mind if i use the bathroom man and he goes yeah you can go outside and i was like and i just got big bodied by this like 16 year old gangbanger i was just like oh i was like i guess i can't pee in the house all right for sure i'll figure it out uh so whatever we like set up these amps eventually and i remember we had like a little powwow we all huddled up and we were like uh remember what happened last year in Vegas? And Nick was like, yeah, I fucking remember. <laughs> you know what I mean, uh, we were like, maybe we don't uh, use the mask or maybe we don't just like, maybe we don't do the full shtick this time because definitely all these people have guns and like, I don't know how they're going to fucking respond. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, so our solution, because we didn't have another microphone to use uh, and they sure as fuck didn't. Um, or I guess they probably might have. We probably could ask, but it would have defeated the purpose. We took an American flag and just kind of wrapped it around the gun and let Nick leave his pants on. Um, and that seemed to like sort of not cause any problems. But all of our openers were so weird. It was like these 16 year old rappers. So it was like two hours of just kids rapping over these tracks they had made. And like the parents were there and it was super weird. And there's like 300 people in this backyard. And finally the sun goes down and they're like, all right, yeah 
you guys want to do this thing? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, I guess. Uh, and I'll never forget, we set up and everybody's in this circle, like this massive fucking circle in this big dirt backyard. And there's two kids at the front. That's it. And the two of them are already like getting pretty hype. Like they've clearly been to a rock show before. Everybody else, this is the first time they've ever seen anything like this. They don't know what to think. And these kids are already like so excited. One of them's got their shirt off and I just slam a fucking E chord just to kind of like test the waters or whatever. And this kid grabs the dude next to him and goes, let's fucking mosh. And just throws the kid into the fucking dogs, man. And the next thing you know, it was just like wall to wall or not at all, man. People were like death running. And I was like, fuck it, let's do this thing. And so we just lit it up and the show went super well. And we just crushed it super hard for like, 15 minutes and then boom the cops were there like that and everyone was like fucking scram dude and like all these people's parents are like what the fuck is happening you know like and all these little gangbangers are like just immediately scurry into the house and just leave everybody to fend themselves so funny <laughs>